there, everyone, and welcome back to the Phileas Club. In this show, what we do is that we get people from different parts of the world and we talk about what's been happening in their country or region and get views and opinions and uh, takes from different cultures and backgrounds. That's what we do. That's what we try to do. I'm Patrick Beja. I am from France originally, but currently residing in Finland. And I'm very glad to be welcoming back to the show Bart Buschitz, Buschitz, but damn it, um, <laughs> <laughs> originally from Belgium, still Belgian, and but currently living in Ireland where he has no voting rights. That is a very good summary indeed, Patrick. Um, <laughs> we, we've settled as a family on Buschotts. Pretend it's like B-O-O-S-H-O-T-S. All right. But Buschotts. really, as anyone who speaks Dutch knows, it's actually Buschotts. But Bushwitz. English people cannot say the S-C-H sound, so we've given up. <laughs> All right, Bouchots. Um, and so you're in Ireland, as I mentioned, and I'm also very happy to be welcoming for the first time um, Mohamed uh, Ben Shekroun from uh, Morocco. How's it going, Mohamed? Hi, hi, everyone. Thank you for your invitation. I'm very happy to be with you, all of you. So, yes, I am in uh, Morocco uh, currently. I am a, a professor in China. I am officially based in China. So, but um, the circumstance of the COVID-19 obliged me to stay and to be confined in my country, close to my family. So, it's a good news to be close to my family in my country. Mm. So, how long, actually, that's a, a, a good point to start from. Um, when did you have to leave China uh, at the start of the crisis? Yeah, so... Uh, it's during the Chinese Chinese New Year, uh, so it's the holiday in China. So I took this opportunity to go to Morocco to enjoy some couple of weeks with my family. So once I have arrived in Morocco uh, on uh, January 18, I have been uh, aware about this epidemic because, to be honest, in China... Uh, we have been aware and we have been informed about this pandemic of COVID-19. So it's only when I have arrived in Morocco that uh, my friends told me about this. Really? So, and, yeah, 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 of course. Um, and um, uh, so all the measures that Chinese government, Morocco, uh, took to close their borders, so it obliged me to continue my working online with my students so from uh, so since uh, january 18 i'm still in morocco confined and uh, i'm i'm not in this capacity to go back to to china of but course. i'm very happy to be i, I as i told you uh, to be with my family confined because it's a it's a tough moment and it's very hard to have the solidarity and the, the psychological support from, uh, yeah, from, I, yeah, from I, yeah, I can imagine that uh, if you had stayed in, in China without knowing, there might have come a point where you couldn't have gone back to Morocco uh, and you would have had to stay in China for a longer period of time. So in a sense, yeah. I guess it was lucky that you planned to go to Morocco <laughs> for the vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. So uh, so um, as, as you said, I'm very lucky to... Uh, to leave this very uh, hard challenge uh, that uh, touch all the places in all around the world in my country, uh, but still Morocco didn't still didn't surpass this um, 
this health uh, of emergency and uh, we are still uh, struggling to try to find a solution and to figure out and to overcome uh, this uh, mm. uh, yeah this pandemic yeah uh, we can talk about this in a little bit actually my understanding was that uh, morocco wasn't too badly impacted but maybe i misunderstood that i do have a question about uh the, the communication in china though you said that within china people weren't made aware of the extent of the uh, of the epidemic meaning i i I don't know where you uh, were living, but to be honest, I have very little knowledge of the geography of China, so I wouldn't <laughs> know how far it is from Wuhan or anywhere. But uh, are you say I, of course, um, the people in Wuhan were under lockdown, so they knew what was happening. Um, <laughs> but people outside, are you saying that people outside of China were more aware of the conditions of the epidemic than people inside China in other parts of the country? Yeah. Um, so um, the Chinese government has, has uh, um, said that the pandemic has started, has been discovered in the middle of December, and that has been confirmed by all the scientists and the experts who have followed this, uh, uh, this, this case. So, but when I was in China until January 18, nobody around me, uh, neither my colleagues, my workmates, my friends, uh, my wife, nobody has been aware about this mm. about this virus. So probably the Chinese government wanted to uh, to mask and to to hide this information because they have pretended at the time that they would have this capacity to surpass and to. Uh, and to control this virus very easily, but they didn't expect that it will be uh, internationalized and touch all around the world. So, so as I told you, it's until I arrived, I, I, I arrived in Morocco that my friends told me, uh, explained me that I was lucky uh, to to be in Morocco because uh, an epidemic has affected. Uh, Wuhan and the region of the mm. Hubei. So I am based in, uh, I live in Ninbo, so it's located at the east coast of China. So it's one hour from, uh, by train to, to Hangzhou and two hours by train to, to, to Shanghai. Uh, so it's a literal uh, city. Uh, I think three hours by plane uh, to Wuhan. So the, the lockdown has been made only regionally in the Hubei province. In Ninbo, we have been averagely uh, uh, affected. So, uh, so, um, so I can tell you that it's true that I have been informed about this, mm. um, about this virus, yeah. yes. That, that's that's really interesting because I seem to remember that by mid-January we were aware of the issues in Wuhan. I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure. But as you said, it was the news um, traveled internationally, but inside the country it was uh, it was mm -hmm. not as as it didn't spread because of the control of the Chinese government. That's mm -hmm. that's an interesting. No, we were tidbit. we were definitely. I know for a fact we were. It was starting to be on our radar in January because I had the misfortune of getting knocked off my bike on the 20th of January. And so that's two weeks at home where I recovered. Mm. And that was the big news story. Right, was, right. Will, will, the, will the virus spread or mm. will it be contained? Yeah. You know, can it be held in Wuhan? Well, that would be a fascinating uh, conversation to be had, uh, uh, to something to explore uh, for another episode, the, the way things went and maybe the way things are um, 
uh, managed in China. Uh, but for now, let's talk about more recent things. And um, uh, first, I'm going to thank you again for being on the show, Mohammed. And uh, let's talk, since we're talking about the pandemic, um, I guess the big thing, both in France and Finland, um, is... The, the fact that things are really going back to normal. Um, I guess in France, we could talk about the rumors of a change in government, meaning the president is going to dissolve the government and, and reform it. Um, this is a common practice midway through the presidency. It often happens in order to uh, adapt to the current situation, maybe quell a little bit of the unrest or the uh, frustration by some of the population. Uh, when a government is not very popular, it, it happens. Sorry, Bart. So this is equivalent to what in the UK would be a government reshuffle. Where the, exactly. The prime minister just basically changes all his ministers around, but there's no election or anything. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. It's a reshuffle. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but it seems, you know, the kind of of discussion and leaks that mean the government itself is leaking it so that people aren't shocked when it happens. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. So I don't know that we can discuss it in, in great detail. Um, but the, the overall news is, yeah, things are go slowly going back to normal. Um, the number of cases have been steadily decreasing, the number of deaths as well. Um, very much so in Finland, we were not too badly impacted um, right here in the country. And so I'm pretty sure that by now there are almost no cases. Let me check the COVID um, statistics that we have on Google. Very useful. You go to Google, you type COVID, and you have access to a lot of uh, statistics. And uh, yeah, new cases were usually under 10 per day in Finland. So that tells you how, wow. how low it is. Um, in France, I think we're in the hundreds usually um, per day, but big that is... Though. I'm sorry? It's a big country though, that, uh, compared to Finland population-wise. Maybe it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, well, I mean, it's definitely... The thing that is uh, striking is that... Well, not striking. The thing to note is that it is much, much, much lower than it had been at the uh, height of the um, crisis. And it has been very stable since, I would say, mid-May. Um, and the number of deaths uh, is is relatively low. We have often a, a few days where it was zero, a few days where it was... a couple dozens. Um, so it's definitely the impression is that it's get starting to really be under control. And yeah, so uh, I just looked at Ireland for today. So as of 7pm, so that's fresh off the press, five deaths reported today and 15 cases. Right. Yeah, Ireland, uh, looking at the at the stats is completely uh, flat. So it, compared to all the other countries, um, Morocco seems to be having a very low number of deaths uh, as well, although there is some spiking, it seems, in the past few days. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But of course, the one thing that is on everyone's minds as well 
is uh, the situation in the US, which if you didn't listen to it, I did a an editorial type episode last week talking about that and the responsibilities and, you know, my thoughts and the way we see uh, the situation in the US. But it has certainly been, um, you know, in the minds of people, you know, not at the front of our minds, but somewhere there, because it is so surprising that every single other country in the world, or Western country is, at least, is managing to take it under control, to put it under control, and the US isn't, for number of reasons, uh, probably, I, I discussed in that uh, editorial. But yeah, so overall, that is the thing that is the main thing, things are getting better and uh, we seem to be getting a hold on on the epidemic. Of course, it might flare up again at some point and we're ready to do what needs to be done if it does. But uh, it's it's pretty, I don't know, the, the, the storm has passed for now. <sighs> yeah, I'm still very nervous. Oh, I mean, uh, we're all very nervous and we're very... Well, like, I mean, we're not declaring victory, but it's it's you know the reality is that we're we're less uh, oppressed by the situation than we were, aren't you in in Ireland? Well, we're we're still in the process of rolling back our restrictions. We are not out of lockdown. We, the Irish government took a very sensible approach of doing a four phase ending of the lockdown with three weeks between each phase. So it is it takes two weeks until you're really sure what's happened. And then you have one week of data where you really know that you haven't made a catastrophic mistake. So we're in stage three or four. Mm. So we're actually every three weeks. It's really nervous for us as we figure out whether or not what we've just changed is successful. So on Monday, just a few days ago, the pubs reopened for the first time. And that, I have to say, has me extremely nervous. Do you know if you have a good tr test and trace uh, system? Meaning. Our tests are certainly our tests are certainly up to snuff, and for the moment, our tracing is able to cope. Okay. The question is, if reopening the pubs causes a big spike and our tracing gets overwhelmed, then we're in trouble. But that's, well, I guess then that's you go back to lockdown. That's what happens. Or true. You, you and, and, and the other big lockdown. debate, the other big debate here that has me very worried is: there's a really strong push to go from two meters social distancing to one. And that is half as effective. And as someone with a pre-existing condition who's married to someone with an extremely serious lung condition, the cavalier attitude were basically profit before people. It makes me spectacularly nervous. You know, it's really interesting that you're saying this with the uh, significantly lower number and even percentage in, in your country. It seems you're, you're faring really well. Um, and and still you're very nervous, but, uh, but I'm me... nervous because our health system came close to breaking point oh, in our okay. spike, mm. right? So we 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 got a good look at what happens if we lose control, mm. and right now we have control. I'm just worried that there's a lot of people getting very complacent very quickly, and I'm afraid mm. we're going to lose the control we have. And, and like California, we're going to go from an example of how it should be done to oh my god, what have you idiots done? Well, um, I think it was the same in France, and and for I, for some reason I might be wrong, but it was really we were badly hit in France. But it seems now that we, I think we're we have it under control, and we understand 
what can happen and what we have to do if it does. So, you know, it, it's like we were saying, that's my feeling, like we were saying at the beginning of all of this, at the beginning, you had to explain social distancing to everyone. You had to, yeah. to, to convince people. Now, everyone understands, so we can go back to an effective lockdown by the majority of people. Of course, some idiots will always, uh, you know, not want to do it, but we can go, go back to an effective lockdown just like this. And, and uh, what about masks in your countries? Because the Irish seem absolutely... Yeah fundamentally incapable of understanding <laughs> the concept of wearing masks. The closest they seem to come is pretending they're Egyptian pharaohs and wearing them as little fake beards on their chin. <laughs> I, we're using masks. I, I want to go to Mohammed and, and ask how the situation is in Morocco. Um, but the masks, some people don't want to wear them, but most people are okay with wearing them, I would say. But um, yeah. yeah, so... Um, about Morocco, I think uh, one of the positive uh, or the, one of the advantages about um, how the Moroccan government has managed this pandemic is that we got, we had the self-sufficiency on producing the masks um, because uh, we have a large uh, industrial base in textile and mm. the Ministry of Morocco has, decided, has been very quick, very flexible to uh, to open the negotiation and to uh, and to ask the the entrepreneurs in this sector to convert their their activity into producing the masks. So uh, so the the private sector in the textile have been received a large financial support on producing the masks. So in the really in the few uh, in a short time, Morocco has been able to not not only uh, uh, got getting the self-sufficiency of, of the map has also been able to export. So uh, Moroccan mask has been used also in Europe and in the and 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 in the Middle East. So this flexibility has been uh, it was a very positive point uh, on how Moroccan government has uh, managed. But the, the the main reason is that uh, we sorry. Had, let me ask you a yeah. question about this. Uh, yeah. Do you remember when you started wearing masks? Because for us. Since we didn't uh -huh. have enough, the government said, let's say ma masks aren't effective and keep them for the medical personnel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it took like a couple of months, I would say, before we started uh, using them and manufacturing them. Do you remember to, when it was? Yeah, to be honest, I don't remember the exact date, but I can tell you that uh, it, maybe it's from the, from the middle of, uh, of May that uh, okay, Moroccan so... government has announced the obligation uh, mm. to wear the masks. So, but it, it's you know, similar, it's very, probably. Yeah, yeah, but it's very hard to announce the obligation of the mask, and uh, but at the same time, the people cannot find it on the shop and in the pharmacy. Of so course. we we had been uh, so we wait uh, until all the process could be flexible and could be very fluid in terms of processing, in terms of logistic production. Uh, delivering and to be able to to be sold, and uh, the good advantage also uh, is that um, the price, the retail price, has been subventioned. Like uh, I think the the, the retail subsidized. price uh, subsidized. Yes. Yeah. So okay. uh, the American government has covered a, a, a large part of the cost. So it has so it has been very um, uh, so the the Moroccan affordable. People 
who, yeah, independently from their social classes, have been able to wear and to buy the masks uh, in their daily in their daily life. So, right. yeah, that's Is such there... a difference. Like we we're still at the stage where the government are saying, please wear a mask on public transport and in shops. We're working on legislation to make it compulsory. We might have it next week. Now, yeah, we... I mean, come, it's. It's been months and we're only just thinking about making it compulsory here. Yeah, well, I think uh, in Morocco we have applied uh, two kind of measures. The sensibilization, we have sensibilized and encouraged the people to show them the positive effect of wearing the mask in this capacity to prevent and to reduce the cases. But also at the same time, Morocco has established some uh, sanctions to those who don't respect this rule. I think uh, yeah. we have been in this both sides. And I think for those who don't wear the mask, they can be in jail for three months. So wow. I th- yeah, yeah. yeah, I think Moroccan government has been very strict because they have been aware about the importance of wearing the mask in this prevention. Because in the Asian country, one of the reasons why Asian countries have uh, more successfully managed these cases is that the, the, their population are used to wear the mask. And this wearing the mask have uh, uh, in, um, uh, tremendously decreased the the spread and the and the and the contagion of of this virus. Mm. Yeah, that's what we. It, it's really interesting that you're saying it started in uh, mid May because of logistics concerns, which essentially I think. Uh, in, even in France, where there have been a, a big scandal about uh, people felt like the government lied to them about the masks in the beginning, in March, when the lockdown first started happening, the government was saying masks aren't effective, which, to be fair, was what the, the, the Western doctors thought, mistakenly, but thought uh, at the time. And then, of course, it was a couple of months before we could get enough masks because China, which we had been contracted with to provide us with masks in case of an emergency, was not able to manufacture and send the masks. Obviously, that's yeah. a... Yeah, um, I think uh, uh, the, the, the politicians and the scientists made a lot of mistakes about the, about the measures and what they thought that they yeah. thought about the, the virus because this virus was new, very mysterious, very vicious. So I think it's very uh, natural and normal that we can make a mistake. And uh, what really, honestly, and objective impressed me in Morocco is that we, we took generally good measures, for example, about the, the chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, yeah. Morocco was very clear uh, about this, this point is that Morocco has... Uh, um, uh, has authorized the, the 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 use of the hydroxychloroquine to the to the patients and the, and the, and the result was uh, very impressive because uh, the uh, the mortality rate in Morocco is very low is around zero point five percent and one of the reasons is that the doctors have used have pre- prescripted uh, this uh, this medicine. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, there's been a, a, a huge debate in France as well with a uh, controversial figure, uh, Professor Raoult, who's a, a well-known uh, doctor and uh, researcher, but who's also kind of a, um, he, he kind of is a, I don't know how to describe it, he's an 
almost a troll. He's trollish in the way he approaches things. So there are a lot of people who don't like him and who don't trust him. Um, and it's it's become a very big uh, discussion. And, and to be clear, he was defending uh, the use of uh, hydroxychloroquine um, for, Can I say for a long time. About yeah, that? go ahead. Of course. Um, the Didier Raoul didn't. He, he's not the the inventor of the of the hydroxychloroquine. Hmm. He just got this advice from the Chinese doctors who have used this uh, this hydroxychloroquine to the Chinese uh, patients. And and when they saw the effective results and the efficient results, so they have transmitted this recommendation to to the old scientists. So Dizier Raoult, just he has uh, follow and um, internationalized this uh, this uh, utilization uh, of um, of the hydroxychloroquine. So honestly, uh, I don't understand why uh, it was taken such big debate uh, in in France because when when we saw the results, the scientists like Dizier Raoult is one of the most successful, most known uh doctors in his in his field so when he recommended i don't know why uh, it has created some controversial about this uh, about this fact and uh, when we see the, the the result the reality was clear uh, hydroxychloroquine was very uh, efficient if you see in marseille uh, in marseille is the city that has the lowest uh, more mortality rate in 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 in, in all the france uh, territory uh, so, but the origin, the origin, it comes from the Chinese doctors who have recommended uh, to use this this medicine. I think my, the, my, the, under, my understanding. Are we sure we're using? Are we sure we're talking about the right drug? Because my understanding was that hydroxychloroquine was actually abandoned by the WHO because it was failing so spectacularly in its tests. Whereas there's the drug that's now been adopted in the UK that's doing much better, and the steroid. And I wish that I was better is, at names. That is the you you're the two of you are summarizing the entirety of the debate. There are some people who are adamant that it works very well. Uh, Didier Raoult is a uh, strong defender of it. Um, and to to answer your question, Mohammed, um, the reason why it was so controversial is that um, a lot of people felt like Raoult was not observing the proper. Um, testing protocols to be certain that it could be used and that it was harmless because it, it's still a drug that does have some uh, severe unintended uh, special effects. But, uh, special on effects. the heart. Like it, it, yeah. it, its effect but, on the heart is well known and that's one of the things COVID attacks. Yeah. So my, my understanding but, of the science is that it's absolutely not clear cut. It's absolutely not the case that it's that's the dunk. issue. That's the problem, which is it could be, but at least the way the way I understand it, it could be effective for all we know, and it could be a better chance for people who are sick in spite of the uh, undesired effects. But since the, uh, the 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 tests weren't done uh, respecting all the protocols, uh, we can't be sure, and it irks a lot of uh, doctors. I, that's the way I see it it's more of a method issue Ooh. than a real uh, efficiency exactly. issue well, but, but there, Mohammed, there's also the ahead. potential of a conflict of interest because it's a drug that's still under patent so the, there's people playing fast and loose with science not following the protocols properly claiming it's successful without having the evidence 
and they stand to make a vast fortune of money. So that makes me suspicious. If, if you're going to do this for profit, you really have to show me the science. Yeah, about what you said, Patrick, uh, when we are living in an emergency and an urgency and a lot of people die, we cannot um, wait until uh, respecting all the protocol because the medical protocol it's, it takes a long time until we find a solution to to the, to the medical issue so uh, uh, Didier Raoult said okay we can apply this protocol but while we find a solution I have uh, some um, some way to just to save the life of the people uh, and that's why we cannot when the people uh, are sick we cannot tell them just stay at home isolate yourself and just take tolibran uh, it's not very um, uh, reasonable i'm not a scientist but i think uh, the recommendation of Didier raoul it's symptomatic of uh, of flexibility of um, capacity to respond quickly to an issue which which are the essential qualities to be able to overcome uh, a pandemic and a crisis such as uh, uh, COVID-19. But of course, like uh, uh, we have to respect the, the full protocol, the full process, of medical process, but it takes a long time. While we find this, uh, this, uh, this, this solution, we have to save the life of the people. Well, that's well, the problem, Mohammed. Works we don't ways, know. Right? We, we don't know that it saves the lives until we've tested. And you, you, I'm not sure people, you know, if the the death rate is three percent without any medication. Three percent. Uh, if the the medicine you're going to give someone increases that death rate to five percent, you know it saves some, but some suffer from other effects, and it increases it to five percent. You don't want to give the drug. If it decreases it to 1% or even to 2%, then you want to give the drug. But you don't yeah. know until you've gone through the tests. So it's very... Um, and of course, you know, there might be some cases in China and some Chinese advice or other advice. Or maybe Raoul is right. I, I honestly don't know. But the reason why you don't want to give a drug and say, you know, the, this uh, disease isn't a disease that kills you 80%, you have an 80% chance of dying, so you might as well try this drug that you don't know if it's going to work, right? It, I, it kills you very... Go ahead. I, I just I just want to jump in. Uh, you know, flexibility is very important, right? I, I agree with you, Mohammed, that you, you can't let things happen at the usual five-year pace in the middle of a pandemic. That would be murderous. I mean, that, that would be horrible. But at the same time, the flexibility has to has to continue. So there was a there was a point when the science was pointing towards hydroxychloroquine as having real potential, and that was a good at that point in time. It's perfectly reasonable to push for it. But we now have two other drugs which seem to be at least as effective and do, do not have horrible side effects. So right now, the 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 most. Of, our best guess right now, based on the limited evidence we have, is that we have two other drugs that are probably better than hydroxychloroquine. So if you're going to be flexible and say that we should adopt hydroxychloroquine when that was the only game in town, well, now it's one of three and the other two seem better. So that same flexibility should continue to apply. We should continue to update, 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 keep taking the best guess based on the best evidence we have right now so that we save as many people as we can. 
if you were ganging up on on Mohammed a little bit, go, go ahead. You can. Well, no, we're going to move on. No, from. I'm not ganging up on Mohammed. <laughs> no, I'm just but... making a point. It's kind no, of. No, I, I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, I, I will just give you the like the the example of Morocco before we prescript uh, the hydroxychloroquine. We we, an, we when we analyze the curve of the recovered cases and uh, the death cases, they um, they increase uh, equally like. Every day, like when we have two deaths, we have two recovered. It was, it was the statistic before using the, the hydroxychloroquine. But after that, Moroccan government has decided to, to use it, the, the curve of the recovered has been, has been increased tremendously. And that's mm. why we have and this increase a lot in compared with, with the recovered. So, we, so the Moroccan cases has, is the experimentation that showed the efficient the efficiency part of the hydroxychloroquine in, in the curve of the, the recovered cases i'm not a defender of didier raoul i don't know him i have no any in, personal interest on defending him i'm just tell you tell you about the moroccan experience mm-hmm. after moroccan used the hydroxychloroquine the recovered cases has been increased tremendously compared with the before using uh, this, this this drug mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I guess that is uh, food for thought. Um, so, yeah, we've been talking about the, the, the pandemic for a little bit here. It's definitely the news for uh, France and Finland, I would say. Um, is in, in Morocco, is that also what you would qualify as the uh, main piece of news? And maybe you can tell us, we've touched on it, but how things have been going in the past few weeks. It seems like you have very little uh, cases and very few deaths. Uh, if we have a, a little death, I think uh, the main reason is that uh, Morocco has decided to close the borders very early. Uh, in in March 13, Morocco decided to close the borders with the rest of the world only after knowing the few cases. I, th- I, I think after 10 cases, Morocco decided to close the borders. So, and we had, we had this chance to to have to see the experience of what what happened in china and europe and the united states so from this benchmark method i think we decided to use the the quarantine method the strict quarantine such as that similar as what has been made in in the hubei province in wuhan because all the shops has been shut down uh, everything so during three months i think morocco uh, uh, has lived the longest uh, um, lockdown. quarantine, yeah, lockdown. Uh, during three months, the Moroccan people didn't be able to go out only for three reasons: uh, for to go to, to go to the for the health uh, urgency, or um, for the food for the survival need, or to go uh, to, to the job. So, and also the university and the school has been uh, shut down. So. And on the contrary, as you know, Morocco is not a developed country. So we have a lot of people who uh, uh, they 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 gain them, they cover their their need in in their daily work. So knowing this situation, the Moroccan government decided to uh, to give some direct help, the financial direct help to all the to all the people who lost their jobs during this uh, this COVID nineteen, and also the. The thing that really admired me is that uh, the, the the king of Morocco, when he did, when he made uh, the call 
for the donation. All the rich people in Morocco uh, decided to, to, to make some donation and we have collected um, around three, I think, three million dollars. So this three million dollars has been, uh, um, has been, how to say, has been focused on the managing yeah how managing the the covid-19 pandemic so we about financing the survival need of the people uh, to buy the equipment to buy the kit test and all the staff to be able to overcome uh, the crisis the, 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 the other reason is that uh, moroccan people have received um uh, positively this idea to stay at home despite of the difficulty to stay very long time and um, you know, in, Mor- in Morocco, our system is called the Mahzen, and this system is very successful, very efficient on on le- on managing the big crisis. I don't know if you remember in the Arabic Spring in 2011, Morocco was the few was among the few Arabic countries who have overcome this crisis very peacefully, rather than other countries. But the drawback of this system is that after return in normal, this system is not very very rigid to accept the new competencies, the new skills. So the system is good on providing the stability, but very difficult on uh, on renewing their method on accepting the new skills, the new the new way of of managing the countries. So this system this this system has positive side and bad side. And definitely during this crisis, during the pandemic. Uh, our system is very successful on that. Are, how, how, uh, how much a part of that success was a success was an education campaign from the government that managed to get trust of people? Was that part of the success? And yeah, I'll I add think- to that question: How much of it was education, and how much of it was the strength of the government saying, "You know what? That's what you're going to do," and if you're not happy. You're going to do it anyway, uh, you know, kind of an, uh, I don't want to say authoritarian, but, you know, the, the, the strength of the of, course. of the government. Yeah, you can say it was authoritarian, but also in their education and in the pedagogy. We can, we saw through the social media, through the TV, a lot of um, campaign about the important to stay at home, to respect uh, the, the the rules and um, to, to wear the mask and so on. But at, uh, on the contrary, the Moroccan people know very well how the Moroccan system is is running, how the Moroccan system manage, and they know the uh, um, the authoritarian part of the of the of of of, of the regime and of, of of the system. A lot of people. Uh, went to jail because they didn't respect the, uh, 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 the rules. So I think it's the hybrid system, is the equilibrium between uh, the authoritarian part and the sensibilization, definitely. Mm-hmm. How did the population, uh, so we understand maybe they didn't have, a, they were told, not asked, but how did the population react to all of this? It seems like, was it genuine, all right, I get it, or were there still a lot of people who are saying uh, this is overreaction? I don't want to do it. Or h- how did yeah the population react? Uh, at the at the beginning, the Moroccan people were uh, shocked about the this about the impact of the pandemic in our lives. So I think they at the beginning we accepted this decision 
of the lockdown because we thought that it was very uh, beneficial because we thought that Moroccan people, Moroccan government has prioritized the, 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 the life of the Moroccan people rather than the economy mm. and, the, and our liberty. So this was, we accepted. But after, uh, progressively, Uh, the people start getting tired and also the precarity and the poverty because not all the families receive the help, the financial aid from the government. So progressively, uh, we saw some revendication, some anger about the, about the, the long time of this, of this lockdown. That's why, that's why on June 10, the Moroccan, Moroccan government decided to liberate uh, everything and to return in normal, and all the shops has been opened back uh, by respecting, by only covering 50% of the capacities. Uh, so at the beginning, yes, we accepted, but at the end, it was very difficult to uh, to live under the, the quarantine, definitely. Yeah, I can imagine and that, especially since the number of cases and the number of deaths in the country were so low, And the economic impact, as you were saying, you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, you were saying a lot of people live day to day, meaning they get their income for that day or that week's um, exactly. yeah, uh, uh, exactly. needs. So the economic impact is huge when you don't have any savings. And, um, exactly. and But overall, it seems like the... the, the The, the schedule, not the schedule, the, the way it went, aligns kind of strangely uh, uh, well with the way it happened in, in uh, Western Europe. It feels like the dates fit kind of well. Maybe there's, you know, a couple of weeks extra here, or a couple of weeks uh, less there. It seems to, to be um, quite similar in the way it evolved. Bart, you were going to say something? I'm just curious what the balance is between trust and fear. You know, mm. is it a case that a lot of people trusted the government's advice or is it a case that they were very scared or is it a little from a little from column A and a little from column B? Uh, well, um, it's the, I think generally speaking, um, Moroccan people, they, they have a low belief on the Moroccan government, but they have a strong belief in the, in the king, Mohammed VI. So, yeah. so when the Mohammed VI decided to launch these measures, the Moroccan people have accepted. Mm. Uh, uh, despite of the difficulty to stay at home, because once again, uh, we are not a developed countries, Um, we can find 10 people living in the small room uh, with not the with the not the necessary uh, ha um, how how to say the the the, the necessary comfortable uh, uh, environment to to be able to stay for so long time. That's why after one month, after two months of the lockdown, the people getting tired. The people found the excuse to go out uh, without uh, without a real reason. So um, we can say at the beginning it has been addressed, but gradually, I think the um, uh, the fear uh, take the, the advantage on the trust mm. definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, I, I, the the fact that the, the the king is serving an important role is very interesting because that's obviously something that 
we don't have an equivalent of mm. in Ireland, Finland, or France. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, I guess, of course, we could talk about all of this for much longer, but uh, I do want to ask uh, what is happening in Ireland, and uh, you promised me it wouldn't be about the COVID-19. Indeed. So. I think the last time I was talking to you, we had just had an election with a fascinating result where we basically ended up with three parties that were about the same size as each other and no group of two. So any two of those would have to be involved in a government to get above 50% of the seats, right? When you have three parties that have basically got close to, say, a, a quarter of the vote each and then some small parties picked up the rest. How do you form a government if at least two of those don't want to talk to each other? And we had Sinn Féin, who are basically the political arm of the IRA. For I mean, they would say that they've evolved from that origin, but that's certainly their origin story. Um, and they're they're kind of considered a little bit toxic, and people don't want to do business with them. They're also extremely left wing, and what some would argue unrealistic in their economic policies. And then you have two parties who are both centre-right Christian Democratic parties who on paper look like they sh like should agree perfectly with each other. Their policies are almost indistinguishable, but they were on opposite sides of the Irish Civil War 100 years ago. And so they refused <laughs> to do business with each other. <laughs> I, I do well, want to mention... They've gotten over it. Uh, After 100 years, they've gotten <laughs> oh, over wow. it. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I do want to mention before we you keep going, and uh, this is... Uh, uh, the unexpected twist. Um, for those who don't remember, the last time you were on was on the last episode of the Brexit saga. It was episode four. It was essentially, we titled it The Reckoning. So yeah. as we joked, I can't remember if it was on air or before we started recording, but it was back in a time when the biggest thing we had to worry about was Brexit. And that was a really big thing. Um yeah. I don't know if I would like to go back to that time, but it certainly seems far away. But well, it's um, creeping back on our agenda because the deadline for not crashing out is now sneaking up on us. We're we're halfway through the summer already. We're into July, um, and the negotiations are really far behind. And if we've passed the point where they can say give us another year, so they're leaving mm. at the end of this year with or without right. a deal, and I'm not seeing much sign of a deal. So we may be having a reckoning mark two um, in a few months' time. But anyway. All right. So the two parties uh, have made up. They have made up. They have agreed that because they're ex extremely, basically, they're extremely, extremely close in terms of seats in Parliament. Um, 37 versus 35, um, which isn't enough to get them to the magic number of 80, which is a majority. So they've had to invite in some friends. So the Green Party have joined two centre-right parties to form oh, wow. the Irish government. So, oh, yeah. actually, actually, I'm going to interrupt you again to say that we actually had a municipal election in France. Uh, it was delayed by the COVID, or the second mm. turn was delayed. But it was essentially a green wave. A lot of uh, green parties got into mayorships uh, in the country. Ooh. And that also has to do with the reshuffle of the government. But um, wow. yeah, sorry. Yeah, so one of the biggest obstacles actually in getting a government agreed. So once the two civil war parties had agreed they could work with each other after all, the next thing was they had to go get either the left wing parties or the green party on side with centre right. 
And in the end, they got the Greens. And the way the, the big sticking point was a commitment to 7% per annum reduction of greenhouse gases. And that really, really is what almost stopped the government forming. The Green Party would not back down on that. 7% every year for the lifetime of the government. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> and so they agreed. Yeah. They've agreed. So that we have we have a new government. It has so we have a prime minister or a Taoiseach, as we call them, for two and a half years from Fianna Fáil, and then two and a half years from now they will swap, and the other centre right <laughs> party leader will become the prime minister for two and a half years, and then we're due an election. It will be interesting to see how it works out and how much one blames the other for yeah. messing things up yeah. in the end. Um, so. I I have a couple of questions going back to Mohammed. Um, the first one is only partially related to Bart, but it's about Brexit. I'm just wondering, uh, maybe not yourself, but in the Moroccan population, is that something that is you know well known, a concern, or is it so far away that people don't care about? So the Brexit, and the other thing is uh, how. Uh, concerned with uh, the, the green matters and the ecology uh, is the Moroccan population. Okay. Uh, about the Brexit, I think uh, the Moroccan people in general are not very well um, concerned or it's, it's not uh, their cup of tea to... Um, to um, to follow what's happening specific, uh, specifically in the UK because... Mm. As you know, we are Arabic and French-speaking country, and we are more focused on what's happening in Africa, Middle East, and, uh, uh, and, and also in the French part of um, of the world. But the elites, the, in Moroccan elites, of course, definitely uh, we follow closely what's happening in the Brexit. And for us, it's uh, also an opportunity for Morocco to establish a cooperation with the with um, with the UK and. Um, uh, uh, two weeks ago, we ha I I got the chance to to uh, to be one of the keynote speaker with the British ambassador in Morocco, and uh, we talk about the opportunity to welcome the foreign direct in investment from British to Morocco because Morocco now is the has created the industrial base to welcome the foreign investment in order to export it whether in Africa or Europe or United States, because Morocco is considered as the gateway. Uh, so I think we have, um, we have this opportunity to, to be closer and closer with the, uh, with the UK. But generally, a part of that, the Moroccan people in general, uh, they are not very well um, known, very well aware about what's happening in the, mm. in the UK, I guess. Yeah. I see. Uh, yeah, it, it, it seems like uh, the Brexit for us, we look at it as a catastrophe for everyone, but it does open opportunities for other types of trade cooperations. And I'm sure uh, it's happening in a lot of Particularly countries. Africa, actually, mm. Kenya and those kind of for, you know, countries, particularly actually former British colonies are like, oh, let's let's refresh those relationships in a positive mm. way. Um, it's interesting, actually, that the, the, the French speaking parts of Africa are also seeing the, the opportunity and, and grabbing it with both hands. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, in my opinion, I think the Brexit is just a, a result of such um, of the desire from the people to get back their sovereignty, like, uh, um, because, um, 
the election of Donald Trump or the election of the president in uh, Brazil and what's happening in the Brexit, it's just the new trend of of the of the desire from the people to 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 uh, to take back their from their 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 sovereignty and uh, and I think the COVID nineteen will be the the accelerator of this of this trend because I don't know if because the the developed countries understood their full dependence on the supply chain from China. When you see like France, which is the fifth most powerful economic country, who have, haven't uh, haven't in their hand their, the, the, the self-sufficiency of wearing the mask, and they were waiting until the Chinese mask arrived in their, in their land, it was if it was a disaster and a kind of humiliation so this covid-19 will aware it's a it's an it's awareness of of this of the the urgency that to recolize relocalize sorry a part of the industries in in the land of the countries and to get back their the the uh, the, uh, the sovereignty and when you see like why why asian countries have been more um, strong, more stronger in, 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 in and they have struggled more efficiently than Western countries because they have this political sovereignty and industrial uh, sovereignty to face this, this COVID-19. So I think what's happening in the Brexit could be and has this uh, this uh, uh, this uh, possibility to be extended in the rest of the of the Europe, I think so. I mean, th there is certainly a, a desire for sovereignty and for uh, independence, but the mm -hmm. way we're looking at it, at least from France, and we'll see how it, you know, how it goes in the rest of the EU, it is the idea that we need to get sovereignty and independence back in the EU, not in each individual country, um, but it it's a, a very much a, a strong approach of. Yeah, the the, the industrialization that tapered off in the EU, we need to bring that back to an extent, to at least to be able to weather crises like this uh, independently. And uh, I, go ahead, Bart. Sorry. Well, no, I, I think there's actually two forces that work at the same time, right? So you, there is definitely a desire to become economically less all of our eggs are in one basket right the yeah. whole world had put all of its eggs in one basket and everyone was working off the idea of just-in-time production so we got rid of our expensive stockpiles of medical equipment because the answer is we'll just order it just in time and that works absolutely fine if every country's crisis happens at a different time but of course this didn't come like that we all ended up looking for masks at the same moment in time and all of us had just in time ordering and all of us were ordering just in time from the place the pandemic started talk about putting all of your eggs in one very shaky basket but at the same time there's a really strong urge to put cooperation in terms of medical science in terms of other sorts of cooperation so i'm seeing both a desire to become more self-sufficient again and a desire to become more collaborative and cooperative internationally as well at the same time like both forces seem to be happening together which is interesting mm. Mm. Uh, but i think the uh, about the brexit um, i think this decision uh, to be uh, 
to, to be separated from the United Nations as an institution is not to, uh, um, it's, it's, um, it's a desire to get this sovereignty, but at the same time to be opened uh, to the world is to establish the multilateral uh, relationship. Honestly, I don't know if the, Amer the, the Americans, the, the, the English people who voted for Brexit, I don't think that was on their mind. Maybe it was. Maybe I'm wrong. I do, Pat. No, Patrick, it was. It's, okay. I call it former colonial syndrome. There was a time when Britain ruled the world and it's romanticized. Oh, in that sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And by being just a member of the European Union, they're not a major player on the world stage. But, you know, glory days will come again and we will set off and well, become this major world power. That was an emotion that yeah. was played on. I'm not saying it's realistic. It's an emotion but, that was you called know, the heartstring. That who was knows? It, it might work. It, it Maybe they're going to start having relations, uh, trade relations with every uh, uh, country in the world. And they're going to be more free to have uh, better deals. And um, yeah, maybe. I mean, they're starting to talk with Morocco, it seems. <laughs> That's a start takes time though trade yeah. deals take five six sometimes 12 years you the the big europe canada deal was 12 years in the making i believe yeah. they have a lot of work to do sorry we, we uh, interrupted you uh, mohammed no I, um, I, I would like just to clarify one thing because i also uh, follow the what's happening in the in the europe uh, the the defenders of the european union institution they say that uh, if you want to to stay stronger with China in the, in the east and the United States at the west, we have to create this union uh, to unite the forces of the all European countries to be able to have uh, one voice and very uh, 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 strong voices and to and to uh, impose our their, uh, their their desire and to be able to 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 establish the balance between the the the, the geopolitical forces. But the the main difference between Europe, Europe as a continent, and United States and China is that China is a country, is one country, and it has been historically one country. Same for same as United United States, but Europe is not a nation. Is not a federalism of nations. Is a country. Is a civilization of different countries with. They have a lot of similarities culturally in terms of religions, in terms of philosophy, in terms of how we perceive the world, but they have a lot of um, divergence that that really create these obstacles to create this federalism of the of like the federalism of European uh, countries. But the this project is very noble in the paper, but very difficult to apply it, uh, knowing. Uh, these specificities that I have uh, uh, mentioned, I think. Oh, I, I completely agree. It's very, very difficult well to apply. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It do it doesn't mean. I mean, in my I'm very much pro-European, so I think it is still the better the better way to go for a number of reasons. But I completely agree. It's super difficult to apply, uh, even in the U.S., where I think arguably there are more differences between some states than there are between European countries. Of course, there is a common shared history. That means there's unity um, when in, in Europe it's more, much more difficult to build. So, yeah, I but agree. There's an American identity that supersedes. The, like an American has a state identity 
and an American identity. They're a proud right. Texan or a proud Floridian or a proud Arkansian or whatever. I don't know how proud the, the Floridians are right this minute, but yes, I get it. No, but you know what I, I mean, right? There's an identity course, there where you, they have two flags that they feel strongly towards. Yeah, and in Europe, we have our Irish, our French, our Finnish, but we don't have a strong European identity. Yeah, it course. may be developing, but it's not strong. It's not like yeah, in America. It's very new. It's very new. Anyway, yeah. um, all right, last question, and then we're going to end the show um, about the, the, the ecological aspects of, of well, everything in, in Morocco. Yeah, uh, Morocco is, uh, is one of the leaders on the, on the, on the ecology in, the, in Africa and also in, in the world because uh, we have, uh, as you know, 50% of our territory is, is, is a desert. So we have implemented... Uh, I think the second largest solar panel uh, in in the in the desert, uh, and uh, so which will cover uh, in 2025 uh, 40% of our electricity. So wow. definitely one of the biggest strategy of the Moroccan government under the political want of from the king is to orient uh, Morocco to be one of the. Uh, leaders on the ecology so all uh, and our biggest universities have created a research development department focused on to find to 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 find innovation to innovate on at this field and we can say that it's something that has been uh, launched under the the vision of the of the king uh, uh muhammad VI. so uh, so this is something that we can perceive it and uh, and it's one of the biggest investment because achievement under uh under the under the reign i thought if you can say this in english uh, yeah yeah under, under the reign of uh, of muhammad VI. Mm, interesting it seems you you're really painting a a, a a really nice picture of morocco um it, if if it wasn't for the risk of going to jail for three months for not wearing a mask um I think I would like to to be there right now. Although uh, you are, you are welcome to you know Morocco <laughs> is is known as a welcoming countries. We are uh, very fa the people the, the the world know us as we are very uh, we have this hospitality to welcome the the, the foreign people. That's why we are touristic countries. Uh, every year we welcome we receive uh, 13 million uh, uh, tourists. That's why you know. Um, This COVID-19 has impacted uh, very significantly our economy because mm. we are very dependent on the on the foreign tourists. And when Morocco decided to, to close the borders, uh, it has been a disaster for, for this sector. But uh, honestly and objectively, I'm not... I'd, I'm not a propagandist of Morocco. I'm, I'm just want to. Uh, of course, we have a lot of drawbacks. We have a lot of poverty to cover. Uh, we are not very advanced in terms of education in our uh, healthcare uh, sectors. Uh, we have a lot of social disparities. As, as I told you at the beginning, a lot of people uh, they have their day, they 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 have to gain their their daily expenses uh, uh, daily. So we have a lot of challenges to face. But definitely, I can ensure you that our stability, our unity, uh, under the vision of Muhammad VI, uh, we are on the way to overcome this challenge. 
and to uh, and to and to go forward uh, the category of the emergent uh, mm. countries. Bart, you had oh. a, a question. Yeah, no, it, it, I was. It's just by pure coincidence. I was listening to a podcast about cooking recently. And the guest was uh, in Marrakesh, um, where they run uh, culinary tours, where basically you come to Marrakesh and they take you around the markets and hidden away restaurants and things that tourists would never find. And they insisted that to prove how welcoming Morocco is, they said that there's no word in Moroccan for tourist. The closest they have is a word that means guest of the king. Is that true or is that a, a good way of looking at the hospitality? Um, sorry, I didn't follow your question. Can you repeat, please? I'm so oh, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Basically, what they were saying is that um, in Morocco, the word for tourist translates as guest of the king. Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> it sounded really good. It made Morocco sound wonderful. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, guest of the king. No, I, 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 no, we don't qualify the, the, the tourist as the guest of the king. Uh, I think uh, we qualify the tourist as... Um, as the the foreigners who want to spend a good time in our countries, and uh, we mm -hmm. are very lucky to welcome them, because it's um, it's one of the way to enrich our country economically, and it's one of the uh, diplomacy to uh, to to give a, a positive image of uh, of uh, of, uh, of Morocco. Mm. Cool. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much for this uh, explanation. Uh, Bart, is there anything you want to say before we close off the show? Oh, I just want to thank Mohammed because I'm sorry to say, as, as, as a silly foreigner, the stereotypes of, of Morocco that I would have picked up were, were not in any way useful. Um, <laughs> as most stereotypes aren't. So it was really nice to have uh, a more nuanced understanding so I can finish this podcast understanding Morocco better than I did when I started. So thank you. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Um, I, the, the stereotypes are, are, are everywhere when we... Uh, I think uh, the best way to break and to overcome the stereotype is to go to, to, to the other, to accept the different and to understand because finally we are all belonging to the same civilization, which is the human uh, civilization. And we have the same uh, desire, which is to live with dignity, happiness, and uh, and justice. What a great way to end a podcast. That I will, I will uh, end on that. Exactly. Thank you very much, Mohammed. Um, before we do completely close it off, though, I would like to ask both of you to tell us uh, where we can find you on the internet, if you have a Twitter account, for example, or something else. Bart, why don't you start? Okay. Um, since no one can spell my surname, I would suggest you go to bartb.ie and then click the appropriate button for Twitter or whatever it is you'd like to find, because at least that way you can probably spell Bart. Excellent. Um, you know, I will include the link to your Twitter account in uh, the show notes. So if that's the place you want people to go, it will be there. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's the only social media I do, to be honest. I don't do Facebook or any that Excellent. kind of stuff. So, yes, my Twitter is definitely the best place to send people. Mohammed, do you have a Twitter account or something else you yeah, want to? Uh, among the social medias, I'm very active on Facebook. So you can type my name, uh, Mohammed uh, Ben Shakron, so you can find my uh, uh, my picture. And I'm, I'm very active through uh, via this uh, this uh, social network. I'm also active on the on the Instagram 
and uh, and LinkedIn, but not on on Twitter. All right, I'll uh, include the link to your Facebook. That's uh, probably yeah. the best uh, the best one, and of course, your name will be in the show notes as well. All right. And for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can find this show at frenchspin.com if you want to comment or uh, tell us about anything, really. Uh, you're very welcome to do so, frenchspin.com. And, and of course, uh, the Phileas Club is, uh, uh, is, is financed, uh, is po made possible by the sponsors at Patreon, patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. The link will also be in the show notes, so please feel free to venture there and uh, maybe support us if you like what you he heard and hear um, every month on the show. Thank you very I'm, much. I'm, we'll... I'm oh. in, Patrick, because you're never going to do this yourself. You're, you're never going to praise yourself. I'm going to praise you and say that your the new podcast you're doing with Tom Merritt, Work Insanity, is amazing and it has oh, helped really? me keep my sanity during COVID. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you very much indeed. This is a show we do about working from home. Uh, it's every Monday and uh, it's about 15 minutes and it, it's tips about uh, working from home. It's very easy to find. It's Work Insanity, an excellent pun that I don't mind telling you I came up with. So... There well, well done, because it stuck in my head immediately. I did not have to ask the name of the show twice. I thought it was very funny. So thank you. Thank you, Bart. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks. Oh, or maybe actually I might be on, a vac on vacation the French way for several weeks. So maybe back in August. Talk to you then. Bye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.